Welcome to Maximize Your Influence, your resource for the top persuasion, influence, and negotiation techniques that will help you maximize your success in life and business. And now, here are your hosts, Kurt Mortensen and Steve Olson. Welcome to episode 153 of Maximize Your Influence. Steve Olson here along with Kurt Mortensen. And we're getting to the tail end of summer with lots of good persuasion tricks and tips coming your way. Kurt, how are you doing today? Feeling good. It is coming closer to the end of the year, so everyone needs to look at those goals, what they want to accomplish, what they want to earn, who they want to persuade, what they want to do. It's coming up. Weather's cooling down. School is starting for a lot of people, so there's a reality check there. It's uh, done, done, and done. First day of school for my kids today. My wife and I dropped them uh -huh. off and high-fived each other on the way out. <laughs> <laughs> like woohoo! Yeah, summer's great, but then there's get a lot more done when it's not summer. <laughs> well, Homer Simpson is a regular on our podcast, and he's famous for saying on the first day of school, "You're the government's problem now." So <laughs> right. they are. <laughs> they are. <laughs> yeah, well, that's good. Uh, kids are in school. We've got more to talk about here. We've had a few guest interviews happening lately, and today you are stuck with Kurt and myself. Everybody moan. All right. Good old go. Get it out. fashion maximize your influence. <laughs> Going old school today. Back to the basics. But you're going to like it. Oh, yeah. You're going to listen to us and you're going to like it. And not only that, you're going to recommend it to your 10 favorite friends. Yeah, we like it when you do that, by the way. Please recommend yeah. the podcast to anybody who persuades or influences or leads for a living. Follow us on Twitter at InfluenceMax. Like us on Facebook. Just punch Maximize Your Influence into the search bar on Facebook, and you'll see us there. We post some pretty cool stuff on there, and you can always check the show out at MaximizeYourInfluence.com. That's where we have the blog and links to articles and, and all that kind of stuff. And if you're old school, just subscribe on Windows Marketplace or iTunes or Stitcher or SoundCloud. We're all over that kind of stuff now as we continue to pretend that we know what we're doing on the technical <laughs> front. Some people buy it. Yeah, some of you are fooled. Most of you are not. <laughs> and you're still here. I don't get it, but uh, mm -hmm. you're still here. <laughs> Let's talk business here, Kurt. I need you to cue up the Urkel. Oh, all right. Urkel, go. <laughs> there he is, your buddy Urkel. And, you know, it might sound a little bit cheesy sometimes, high dairy content, as we like to talk about on the show. But uh, millionaires certainly have different habits than other people do. So... If that's important to you, having enough money or lots of money, I think most people acknowledge it. Yeah, they'd like some of that. Then you ought to pay attention to what Kurt's about to say, even though he's going to do it a little bit uh, begrudgingly because he had to just hit the Urkel button. I'll do the best I can. And before I start out about habits of self-made millionaires, it's something I've always taught in seminars. You've heard this before, but it's so important that it's actually quite simple to become a millionaire. You just start thinking, acting, and doing what other millionaires do. And I came across this article... Uh, Thomas Corley did the research. It's a name we can recognize. And he interviewed and monitored 177 self-made millionaires. So pretty good start to say, okay, what are they doing? Right, what's going on? And then I'm going to go over all 13, and we're going to post this to the blog so you can take a look. But let me go over a few. And uh, some of these will be a review. Ask yourself, are you doing this? So they read consistently. And here's what he found out. 88% of the wealthy devote 30 minutes or more each day to self-education or self-improvement. Are you doing that? Here's one. Are they exercise? 76% of the wealthy do aerobic exercise 30 minutes a day or more. And one we already know, they hang out with other successful people. 
they pursue their own goals. That's why they're wealthy. They're not pursuing someone else's goals. That's why when you're working for someone else, a lot of times you're pursuing their goals instead of your own. Here's one I don't agree with. Tell me what you think, Steve. They get up early. <laughs> <laughs> That's a hard one. <laughs> yeah, maybe I'm in denial, but they said 50% do get up three hours before their workday actually begins. So that's kind of interesting. Maybe I'll change, maybe I won't, but that's one that's always, I'm a late night person. I get a lot done in the late night hours. I get so random emails from you late at night. So yeah, you're, <laughs> you're picking it up somewhere. I think it, there's, there's a quote I heard once, and I do not know who said it. It wasn't me, so I'll, that's my attributing the quote there. But the successful people in life get ahead while everybody else is wasting time. That's true. So, That's true. morning or night, you pick, but you've got to get that yeah, extra little you got to figure out what that zone is where you're getting the most done. Yeah. And here's a one that my good friend Robert Allen will enjoy. He's the author of Multiple Streams of Income and One Minute Millionaire. He says 65% have at least three streams of income. Mm. That's always important to have. They have mentors. They're positive. And one I want to point out, too, and you could read the rest on the blog, is they help others succeed. And that's an important one. No one realizes success without a team or other successful-minded people. They work with others. They help others. And I believe Zig Ziglar said, hey, you want to achieve your goals? Help other people achieve theirs. They're going to help you achieve yours. And again, some of these you already know, but are you doing them? Are you really taking this seriously? Because it's an open book test. The answers are there. And those are some of the answers to become very successful and financially independent. Good stuff. Good stuff. We'll post a link to that on the blog. We'll tweet the article out as well. And yeah, you've got to put those habits into play. You want to get those kind of results, you got to do what they do. So yeah, I dragged my butt out of bed pretty early this morning and got some things done. And hey, you know, after five, 10 minutes of it, you're you're glad you did it. <laughs> the first yeah, little while's hard. But you're a little ornery and irritable about the whole thing. So I don't know. Is it a good thing? Yeah, I'm pretty ornery and irritable <laughs> in general. Oh, okay. It just happens no matter what time you Oh, get. yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> you know, with me, it's if I haven't eaten. That's I get right. super crabby. <laughs> and for me, is, is there a long line to eat? So if there's a long line and you're hungry, we're both irritable. Oh, yeah. It's bad. We're waiting in a long line and I'm hungry. Ooh, ooh. Get away. All right. Well, that's good stuff, everybody. Um, thank you for sharing that with us, Kurt. And we wanted to talk about something today that we've touched on sometimes in the show, but it bears repeating and it's very important. A little background on this. I mentioned last week on the podcast that I went out to San Francisco spent a couple hundred bucks using Lyft, cruising around downtown San Francisco. Awesome service. Lyft is a competitor to Uber. Either will work for you. But I went to this expo called the Think Realty Expo, you know, on the show that I'm uh, in the real estate business. I was going to go speak at this expo. And there's a variety of speakers there. And we had a booth and we were hawking our wares, so to speak. <laughs> and what shocked me was that we had all paid a good chunk of change to be at that expo to get in front of this client base and, and get some clients out of it. And not only were many of the presenters just totally unprepared, but even the ones that were, were just awful, just awful. And they made a really, really big mistake. This is counterintuitive. This is going to break some people's brains when I say this. They were focusing too much on the content of their presentation, <laughs> on, on actually what they were going to say. And that will make more sense as we talk about this here. But this is something that if you're listening to this show, I bet you, whether it's one-to-one -one or one-to-many, whether it's virtual, whether it's a big event in front of a lot of people, you've got to present an idea. You've got to sell somebody on an idea, on a product, on something at some point. And Kurt and I wanted to give you three quick keys for your next presentation so you can not be that awful presenter or awful presenters that I saw in San Francisco a couple of weeks ago. 
So there it is, Kurt. There's the introduction. Maybe I've committed some of those blunders in presenting our introduction, <laughs> which case you can feel free to point them out. Well, let's talk about those because this is a critical thing. I spent a lot of time monitoring presentations. Is it persuasive? Was it to have that effect that they wanted? And you mentioned the very first one. Let's talk about it. You've got to prepare. Too many people go up there and wing it. Too many people, maybe they've done it before, and you get rusty. I look at Zig Ziglar, one of the greatest presenters of all time, very persuasive, great presenter. He gave the same presentation thousands of times, but he would spend time before practicing, preparing, thinking it through, reviewing. Everyone's busy to have time, but I guarantee you, you're either going to lose money on the back end or you're going to spend the time up front. And people say, well, how much time? Well, textbook will say one hour for every minute. <laughs> they were like, wow. you got to decide how long you're going to take to prepare, but you've got to prepare. You've got to think it through. Not only physically prepare, but mentally prepare to give this presentation. Because if you go and you wing it, if you go and you just see what happens, this is true in negotiation, anything, your audience can sense it. You know when a presenter knows their material, they've practiced it, it makes the biggest difference. Because if you're nervous, you haven't prepared, you're using those vocal fillers, you're all over the map, they know it, they see it, it's not persuasive. Because here's the key. Anybody can inform, but is it influential? Anybody can present, but is it persuasive? True. What's the objective of your presentation? Is it to educate or is it to persuade? And we've pointed out on the show that those are two very different things. I would think at a minimum record a portion of your presentation and listen to it. Last week, we had Kim Addis on the show. She was talking about how she records coaching sessions with clients so that the clients can hear themselves speak about what it is they're struggling with and what they're doing. And just by kind of getting outside of their body and listening to themselves, all of a sudden, some of these pitfalls that they've been having start to make a lot more sense. And you need to do that. You need to listen to your presentation because there might be things that you think sound completely reasonable and totally understandable that are totally going over your prospect's head, or maybe they're landing with a giant thud. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I, I second that on the preparation. And I agree, because what you think you're doing right or wrong is very different than when you're actually doing right or wrong. That's a recording. In fact, let's throw it out there. If you want to send me a recording of your presentation, I'll watch it. We'll use it on the podcast. We won't name names, but we'll all learn from it together. Let me monitor. Let me give you a few pointers. The first, let's say, first five people to do that will uh, give you some critiques, some good information to turn your presentation from just a presentation to a persuasive presentation makes all the difference in the world. Maybe you've done it, never done something like that before. I'm telling you, you're going to be glad you did it. If you send that presentation into us, we'll give you a free critique. So take Kurt up on his offer and send it to us at maximizeyourinfluence at gmail.com. Or you could just stay in denial and think you're doing really good. Yeah. Well, maybe they are. <laughs> they could maybe, be. I'll tell you that too. Maybe everybody else sucks. Ah, that's what it's the prospect. They just don't get it. Yes. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so what else on this, Kurt? Are we ready for number two? Yeah, number two. Let's all cringe together. PowerPoint. Oh. oh. Every presenter loves PowerPoint. It's like a little blanket. It has all your information, and you can read it to the audience. You're not going to forget what to say because you can read it to them like they're three-year-olds. Your audience hates it. I interview your audience after your presentation. Hate, hate, hate PowerPoint. Now, there's a time and place for it. I don't personally don't like it, especially if I'm speaking less than an hour. I don't want it, but some people require it. They want it. If I'm going eight, ten hours, obviously, and more in a workshop setting, we're going to use more PowerPoint. But most people, I'd say, oh, 97% of people don't know how to use it, abuse it. Your audience doesn't like it. It's not persuasive, and it's giving me an aneurysm. How do you really feel about it, right? <laughs> That's right. <laughs> I agree, though. It. I'll tell you this. 
if you have ever caught yourself giving a presentation and you've got your laptop in front of you and you're turned and you're looking at the PowerPoint screen, reading off a bullet point, you are officially blowing it, right? That's the worst thing you could be doing. These people need to be focused on you, what you're saying. How many times have you given a PowerPoint, Kurt, and you've seen the audience just writing feverishly something that they're never going to pay attention to again, and they're not even hearing what you're saying? Yeah, and that's a challenge. Like I said, if you're talking to the screen, you're already blowing it. Now, if you need to glance over your shoulder to check out a bullet point for your next five minutes, I'm okay with that. Or at least look at your, hopefully have your screen in front of you where you don't have to look over your shoulder. But you're right. If you're reading it to the audience, they're not three-year-olds. You need to be the presentation. If the PowerPoint's the presentation, then you're not persuasive at all. Here's some just general rules. You shouldn't have more than one slide every couple of minutes. You shouldn't have more than two to three bullets, right? And each bullet should have more than two to three words unless you have a quote there that's really important for them. To the point, basic, it's just supposed to remind you what's next, help your audience follow along. That's all it's there for. You need to be the presentation. And the best thing is the black slide. See, in the old days, I still love the overhead transparencies, if everyone knows what those are, because you could just turn it off and everyone's eyes would come right at you. Or if you needed to skip two or three slides, you could just move them down and nobody knew. I love that aspect of that. And you can still do a few of those things with PowerPoint. Two things you can do here. Most remotes, your clickers have a little blank slide. Watch it. Hit blank. It'll go blank. Everyone's eyes will come back to you. You're closing your final point. What you need them to look at you. Don't leave the screen on. Or you put in a black slide. It's automatically there. Their eyes will come to you. And the next slide's there when you need it. It's such a simple thing. and makes a big deal. That's your tip of the day. Use a black slide. Minimum bullets, minimum slides. Again, you are the presentation. And the other thing I'm, that's a big complaint I want to address here with PowerPoints is lighting. Everyone dims the light, which, of course, encourages sleeping and boredom and not watching and not taking notes. But it also puts shadows on your face, which decreases your trust and your credibility. I would always make the mistake of having the PowerPoint hard to read with light in your face than the other way around with the PowerPoint easy to read with shadows on your face. Again, simple things. No one thinks about it. They're all concerned about the content. They don't think about the delivery. Yep, yep. All that content piled on top of your prospects doesn't matter unless you made some kind of an emotional impact on them. Exactly. And that's not going to come from reading bullets or having fancy movements or the new ones, Prezi. If you've been to Prezi.com, a lot of movement, which makes your older audiences dizzy and fall off their chairs. It's kind of cool for your younger audiences. But hey, know your audience. Yet I know it's a security blanket. You have your 77 slides for your presentation. Now you're not going to forget anything. You'll be right on track. But you bored them. They didn't like you. They didn't trust you. You weren't persuasive. You wasted your time anyway. Exactly. Exactly. Okay, great. Well, we, we said we were going to keep it to three. We might need to extend the podcast on the next week's episode. But what is the third method to keep in mind for your next presentation? The third one is your presentation skills, not your content, your delivery. I mean, you kind of talked a little about that with the recording is, and that's a huge blunder is that people all concerned about the content, 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 content. You need good content, but it doesn't matter how good your content is if your delivery doesn't come across that way. And people get nervous and they do strange things. They do dumb things. And the audience actually thinks you're being deceptive because of some of the things that you're doing. Be very careful with a couple things. I can just point out there. I could spend all day on this, but the first one is, you know, listen to your voice. When people get nervous, they put in the vocal fillers. Um, er, uh, you know, it decreases credibility. It makes you harder to listen to. People want to stab you with a knife because it makes the <laughs> audience very tense. 
It does. They start counting your fillers, and you don't even know you're doing it. It does. It's not even on your radar. I'd say 90% of the people, yeah, I didn't even know why I said, you know, you did 72 vocal fillers. I'm like, I did? I have no idea. And that really hurts your ability to present. And your rate of speech, the faster you can speak, not being a fast talker, but speeding up and slowing down increases the energy. Your rate is more charismatic. So there's your voice. The deeper the voice is more credible. We've talked about it before. You need to smoke more. Of course, we're kidding. That's one. And then, of course, your gestures. If you are folding your arms, we know that. But even just as bad as folding your arms is the fig leaf. And you can use your imagination to figure out what that is. But (laughs) the fig leaf is you're kind of blocking yourself. You're covering yourself up. Gestures are great. Use your gestures and come back to your side. So look at your, your arm movements, the way you pace. Are you swaying in the wind? Some people stand still and just sway back and forth. They do all these things, and they don't even know that because of this nervous habit. So the way they sit, the way they stand, and those are some things that you've got to be aware of. Again, we could spend all day on these different things you should and should not do, but record it. Look at it, especially with your gestures. If you can fast-forward it a little bit, you can kind of see if your gestures are attracting or distracting from your message. Again, most people don't even think about it, but these gestures and the way your voice comes across could really hurt your presentation. doesn't matter. You can have great content. But no one's going to want to listen. They're not going to like you. They're not going to trust you. And it's not going to matter anyway. There you go. There you go. And you're just going to want to, like you said, I think you alluded to stab them or something. You know? <laughs> yes. The vocal fillers makes people tense. And another one that makes people tense is the pacing. Now, I'm all about movement. But if you're pacing back and forth, that does increase tension with your audience. So what you need to do is go ahead and move, but plant and own your spot. And before you move again. Plant on your spot. That makes a big difference in that, in your gestures. We've also seen scientifically with your gestures, you should gesture from your hips to your, your shoulders because if you come higher and you gesture really high, that makes your first row a little tense because that's what dad used to do when he was mad and you're about to get it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're not thinking, oh, that's what dad used to do. It just makes them a little nervous inside. They don't know why. It's a subconscious trigger. So right. yeah, people don't even think about all these things. We can go into the external surroundings, but just take a look at yourself. This subtle thing's that you're doing that distract from your message, your nervous habits, which could show the audience that you're being deceptive, even though you aren't. doesn't matter if you are or you aren't, but they think you are, and you've lost that trust. There you go. Let's continue this on next week's podcast, Kurt. I know we're running a little bit short on time, but we need to queue up the ninja. Oh, one of my favorites, Persuasion Ninja Go. Ninja, this is from TheGuardian.com. If you've been watching the Olympics, it's over. I'm a little bit sad. It was a really fun couple of weeks uh, seeing a lot of these events. And a headline about two women's hurdlers from New Zealand and America. I'll give you a quick clip from the article, and we'll point out why this is a ninja. But uh, New Zealand distance runner Nikki Hamblin and U.S. runner Abby D'Agostino were four laps from the end of the 5,000 meters in Rio when they were collided. So I apologize. I said they were hurdlers. They were actually long distance runners. Hamblin bunched tightly in the mass of running women, stumbled and fell face forwards, causing her U.S. competitor, Diagostino, who was running directly behind her, to hit the track as well, falling on the side of her body. As Hamblin lay in the fetal position on the track, Diagostino jumped up quickly and pulled the New Zealander to her feet. Moments after the two athletes had started running again, Diagostino began faltering, her right leg injured as a result of the fall. In severe pain, Diagostino fell again to the ground, crouching on all fours on the Olympic track, her face showing she was in pain. Hamlin stopped running and turned to her, reached for her with two open arms, and the race for Olympic glory forgotten. And then they uh, both limped across the finish line together. It was a really great Olympic moment. Uh, we, we liked to uh, kind of bag on the U.S. election and uh, Trump and Hillary and all this stuff. And 
you know, it was a, a moment where the whole world felt good together. And uh, these two sprinters, just by being good people, probably going to turn this into a lot of endorsement deals and a lot of different interviews and a lot of things that are going to be really good for their careers as a result. And we've really pumped that on the show that, hey, if you just have good intentions and, and look to do what's right for other people, yeah, this thing kind of comes back and, and is beneficial to you. And I think that's going to be the case with these two. And they are ninjas of the week. Congratulations, ninjas. So true. Just being a good person, doing the right thing. They're going to get the endorsements and get the credibility, but that moment is going to probably be remembered more than almost anything at the Olympics. They didn't win gold. They did the right thing. They came together. That's what it's all about. That's long-term. I guarantee you that's going to be on the highlight reel from this Olympics versus all the forgotten gold sometimes that we forget about or even silvers or bronzes. But that moment makes the biggest difference and because it's emotional and people remember it and it was the right thing to do and it's good to see good people coming together. Very cool. Very cool, everybody. Thank you for listening. We will catch you next week on another episode of Maximize Your Influence. Take care. Go out and persuade with power.